Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Series 3, Episode 114 of this Daily Study Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us as we continue our study of this week's Come Follow Me. Uh, We're looking at um, the week commencing April the 19th through to April the uh, 25th, sorry, covering Doctrine and Covenants sections 41 to 44, My Law to Govern My Church. And today uh, we're moving into the section, uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 42, which is considered this law. Uh, And so it's a big one, this. This will probably take us two to three days to get through. Three days, probably, if we include the uh, background and context today as well. Um, I'm going to try and break it down uh, so we focus on certain points um, in, in one go. So just to get a bit of understanding, we obviously Doctrine and Covenants section 41 was kind of a, a, a preparation for this section. Um, but if you look in the Revelations in context in the chapter titled The Law, there's a great uh, description about the background to this as well. Um, it says, quote, Joseph had been in, in, in Ohio less than a month when he wrote these words to Martin Harris, who was still in Palmyra, New York. We have received the laws of the kingdom since we came here, and the disciples in these parts have received them gladly. Prior to Joseph's own move from New York, the Lord gave him a commandment to gather the church to Ohio and promised, There I will give you unto you my law. Shortly after Joseph's arrival in Kirtland, he received the promised revelation, which in early manuscripts was entitled The Laws of the Church of Christ. It is now canonized as Doctrine and Covenants, section, uh, section 42 verses 1 to 73. The church's need for the revelation at this time was acute. When he arrived in Ohio, Joseph found the saints there to be sincere, but confused about the biblical teaching that early Christians were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, for they had all things in common. Close quote. Now, we'll get into a bit more in-depth discussion about this uh, when we talk about consecration and saints consecrating their properties because i want to do a, a section or a, or a episode focused on that specific part uh, alone so we won't talk much about that but basically um joseph received this law uh, which would help give direction to the saints because they were very eager and firm in their beliefs of christ but there was obviously great confusion which was developed from having so many different denominations or having a denomination that was prevalent in Ohio to begin with. Of course, there's new members, or say, well, not new members, but there's members arriving into the area who haven't been part of that faith, and there's just a melting pot of different beliefs, traditions, and cultures uh, in these different denominations. So it helps the saints to uh, get some answers on those. Um, Further down in Revelations in Context, it says, quote, The revelation answered many questions of importance to the church at that time. Joseph and the elders who gathered in February in pursuit of the revelation first asked if the church uh, should gather um, into one place or continue in separate establishments. The Lord answered with what are now essentially the first 10 verses of Doctrine and Covenants 42, calling on the elders to preach the gospel in pairs, declaring the word like angels, inviting all to repent and baptize all who are willing. By gathering saints into the church from, from every region, the elders would prepare for the day when the Lord would reveal the new Jerusalem. Then ye may be gathered in one, the Lord said. Close quote. Now, 
it goes on in Revelations in Context to basically outline the principles taught uh, in the early part of Doctrine and Covenants 42. So basically, this this revelation was a was an answer to many saints' prayers for direction, for guidance on certain do- points of doctrine, and to understand the law that was to be established for them. So let's go now uh, to Doctrine and Covenants section 42 itself, and we'll deal with the first 10 verses there um, after, as we've just discussed them. Uh, to answer the question about gathering um, and how for those saints at that time the law was to gather. What's interesting, though, is that, you know, this will have been a great uh, relief for many members of this church. Don't forget, we've just had the first bishop called. Um, There are now, you know, almost 300 members in this or gathering to this area. Not yet at this stage, maybe, but there are certainly at this stage, around about 300 members of the church, and many of them have gathered to the Ohio by this stage. Um, and so these people who, I think we often forget, you know, we, we, we look at the, the, the history of the church through the lens of now, uh, what we're used to, and we're used to people knowing about the structure and organisation of the church. We're used to members knowing about how a bishop, you know, is the leader of the ward and he is supported by two councillors and that they are supported by um, organisation presidents and presidencies and they are supported and mentored by a state presidency and a high high council and state organisation leaders. Uh, And we understand this, you know, when we've been in the church for a few years, but these members had not been members of this church for more than a year and and this structure was not in place. There was literally Joseph Smith, the prophet, uh, there was also Oliver Cowdery, the second elder of the church, um, and now they've just had a bishop called. So, and and of course many missionaries at this stage. So, it was a new situation for them to be in. So to be able to receive this law and to understand, you know, what the law for them was at this point was really important. Um, this is not to say, of course, that the law that was given then is exactly what's um, re- relevant right now. Um, the laws of the church do change over time. The doctrines do not, and the teachings of Christ and and of his the principles of his gospel haven't changed over time. But the laws that were relevant then may not be so relevant now. Many of them will be, of course, as we go through. You'll find many of them that are relevant now. But things like gathering in one um, is not something we do now, and we've discussed that in previous episodes, particularly with last week's um, discussion about the call to gather to the Ohio. Um, but we are invited to gather um, Israel on both sides of the veil, not just in the place where we live, which is still something we need to do now, but also to gather Israel on both sides of the veil. So it's um, really important we understand that principle, that laws have changed and will continue to change. There was not a handbook of instructions then. Um, this basically was their handbook to begin with, uh, when you think of it in that way. So this law um, is really important to these early saints. Um, so in the first 10 verses, as it says, um, as Revelations in Context says, uh, it goes into how they are called to go forth two by two preaching the gospel, and then they shall gather to the New Jerusalem in one. Um, it talks about Edward Partridge again. And then it says in verse 11, again, I say unto you that it shall not be given to anyone to go forth to preach my gospel or to build up my church, except he be ordained by someone who has authority. And it is known to the church that he has authority and has been regularly ordained by the heads of the church. So I think this is something which, again, as members of the church and perhaps members of the church who have been members of this church for their whole lives, we don't really understand is 
not unique, certainly not unique, but is important and defining uh, for this church is that it is built upon authority, that individuals who serve, teach and expound and preach in this church are called by authority. Um, because in other churches, it, it's not necessarily that way. Um, but it's something that is important for this church. Boyd K. Packer uh, said this, quote, We always know who is called to lead or to teach and have the opportunity to sustain or to oppose the action. It did not come as an invention of man, but it was set out in the revelations. In this way, the church is protected from any imposter who would take over a quorum, a ward, a stake or the church. Close quote. Authority, and in particular priesthood authority, and again, as we've discussed many times before on this podcast, not not to say that men, men's authority, as opposed to women's, but priesthood authority, the power of God. Let's disassociate the, 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 word, the term priesthood from the brethren of the church and apply it to the brethren and sisters of this church. The priesthood authority, the power to act in God's name, um, is something that is um, authorised to members to be able to lead and guide the work in this church. Um, of course, that doesn't stop us from reaching out and serving and blessing each other's lives, even if you don't have an official calling or title to do so for certain individuals. Um, but in terms of teaching the doctrine and um, sharing the principles, it is ordained to, to, to individuals as authorised by the authority of the priesthood in this church. Um in verse 12, it says, and again, the elders, priests and teachers of this church shall teach the principles of my gospel, which are in the Bible and the Book of Mormon in, in the which is the fullness of the gospel. And I find that interesting um, that um, the Lord says, which are in the Bible and the Book of Mormon in the which is the fullness of the gospel. I think sometimes we um we we read from somewhere that the Book of Mormon has the fullness of the gospel, and that's not necessarily the case. The Bible and the Book of Mormon, along with, obviously, the, the, the Doctrine and Covenants, which we're reading right now, w within these, we can find contained the fullness of the gospel. Added on to that, the, the direction and guidance we receive from our living prophets and apostles today, um, that is where we, we receive the fullness of the gospel. Just to very quickly finish, President Dallin H. Oaks said this, quote, well-taught doctrines and principles have a more powerful influence on behavior than rules. When we teach gospel doctrine and principles, we can qualify for the witness and guidance of the Spirit to reinforce our teaching, and we enlist the faith of our students in seeking the guidance of that same Spirit in applying those teachings in their personal lives. Close quote. We read this many times, that the teaching of the gospel and doctrines of the gospel are, have a much more bigger impact on behavior than teaching behavior rules. Um, and it's the same, you know, when we, you know, in schools, I think that rather than have a list of rules, we have a set of ethoses and values and those drive the behavior and, and, and the correct principles that we want children to follow in a school. The same is applied in the church that, and even more so, I think in the church, when we teach the doctrines and, God, and principles of Christ, the spirit, as President Oak says, can t testify of those to our very core. Anyway, we better stop there. We're starting to go over already, but uh, we've made a good start on this. Thank you very much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the study. Please continue to follow the podcast on the usual social media and email platforms, and please share it. And until we meet again. <laughs>